None of the voices in this series are ongoing patients of Esther Perel. Each episode of Where Should We Begin is a one-time counseling session. For the purposes of maintaining confidentiality, names and some identifiable characteristics have been removed, but their voices and their stories are real. This episode of Where Should We Begin is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Get your quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hi, I'm Johanna Ferreira, Content Director of Pop Sugar Juntos. Juntos is all about celebrating Latinx culture, pride, our many intersectional identities, and joy. Thanks to support from Prime, there's so much to get into over at Juntos this month. From conversations with the Latin A minds behind our favorite new movies and resurrected TV shows, to thoughtful celebrity commentary and exclusive interviews with some of the biggest Latin music artists today. And it doesn't stop there. Get more of the music, movies, and shopping you love on Prime. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more of whatever you're into from streaming to shopping and get all of our latest coverage at PopSugar.com slash Juntos. Con amor, Johanna. I think it's hard for me to admit that I need to be taken care of. Because that's bigger than sex. That's just like our relationship as a whole. This is a couple of two men who have been together almost two years. They recently crossed to the other side of the continent to move in together. And as things began to escalate, they began to feel more and more trapped and afraid that their relationship may not be able to sustain itself. Really, the past year has been really strenuous on our relationship. We were wanting to be closer, but just I really didn't know how. We're an interracial gay couple, and I think the odds are stacked against us in some ways. I carry some trust and abandonment issues, and I know he carries his own fears about placing trust in a partnership. For a long time, if they had a fight, they could make up through sex. When they began to disconnect in sex, they began to be really scared. What holds us now? For him to have sex, he has to feel emotionally connected. And for me, it's harder for me to get and give emotional connection. So we're opposite from what we require for sex. This is a session where I focus primarily on one partner in the presence of the other who becomes the witness. I didn't know that this was going to be my choice. But I understood at one point that something about one person opening up and exploring the motives, the feelings, the struggles, actually comes as a relief to the other partner. It functions to disentangle the complex loops between them by just tracking and staying with one person at a time. I think a big issue of our relationship has been me being like, I don't know what I want. I don't know if this is gonna work, but I want it to work. And I wanted to try. I think we're both a little nervous. Are you? Yeah. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Every time. <laughs> you know, but tell me your nervousness. Let's compare our nervousness. <laughs> yeah. I think we just both felt it on our way over here. <laughs> There's a low-level fear that, like, we're not equipped for a relationship or that we're not, you know, this isn't, we're not meant to be this and that's layered with our history and with you know being queer and you know all the things are, are stacked against us we're like afraid that that's like gonna come to light today you know mm -hmm. and the stack includes our family dynamics and the homes we grew up in and how we learn love and our experiences of love so far our experiences of ourselves so far 
you know, our own identities and like still that being worked out. So whenever he's like, you know, saying something he needs or that he's not getting, I get really defensive because I'm like, I'm like holding on to the little bit that I do know because so much is like in question, I feel, you know, so. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I would like to know. Yeah. I, I'll tell you what I just heard. To go back to the nervousness just for a moment. For you, the nervousness is this fear in the background that maybe you're not equipped, what you call equipped for being in a relationship. And for you? I think, I think it's similar, yeah. I think at the core of it, the like being seen is maybe not being enough. Right. So those are negative anticipations. Can we just stack those against a different anticipation? Yeah. yeah. What, would, what would that be? Like a, like a positive one, you mean? You know, I, yes, but <laughs> I don't know if the world only exists in positive and negative. Right. And they often are, have a relationship with each other. The very same things that we fear may hold us back are also the sources of our strength, the sources of why we still are together. So I don't think we need to switch from negative to positive, but we can switch from negative to layered. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Can we do that? Yeah. So what would the layer be? I think in the context of our relationship, there is a real need to be, to be seen and to be understood and to like take the parts of me that are really, you know, not okay and, and kind of see past that. And I think a lot of the fights or arguments <laughs> that we have. Who says fight and who says argument here? I think I say fight. <laughs> yeah. I think okay. I say fight sometimes. Um, but I think I almost, I'm like almost fighting to, to just have him see parts of me that I think can be, you know, irrational and not always nice and like I'm hoping that he'll still love me beyond that. So I'm afraid of that, but I also want that. That's it. That's a layer. Yeah. That's beautiful. The very thing I fear is also the thing I long for. And the resolution of it sometimes lives in what is called acceptance. So this, for me, is your opening to this conversation. Yeah. They both come in with a fair amount of self-awareness. They're basically saying, we fight, we attack, we defend, we pursue, we withdraw, and we know that this is layered with our own childhood histories, with our family relationships. We both bring a struggle around trust and abandonment. And just that as an opening tells me that when someone does that and then says, I fear that I'm not equipped, I want to say to them, give yourself a little bit more credit. You have more self-awareness than one often hears in the first two minutes of a session. And you? I think that... I often feel like I'm at war with myself, with this, particularly with this relationship. Um, because, you know, ever since I was 
about a teenager, I really prided myself in being independent and being the source of my own strength and, you know, kind of trucking through things and doing that alone. And then at the same time, or especially since we met and started dating, it's desiring a companion and wanting that love and that connection and the, you know, what, what connection really means, what that really looks like has really scared me. And really, I fought that. I've been fighting that a lot. And it's kind of to the point where I can't differentiate if I just, I'm needing to learn things and get over like some humps and unlearn some things, or if this isn't compatible. I can't tell the difference. And every time I get an argument or there's a disagreement, I get really defensive, I can stonewall, and I'm very, very quick to say, this isn't working. That's why this isn't working. That's why we can't be together. And I'm starting to see, we're both starting to feel that like every time we argue, every time there's a fight, and I, and I go there, it's like instinct. I don't even really think, I just go there. And after the fact, I can see it kind of chipping away at him, you know, like, and kind of at our relationship too. Like you, I can only say this isn't gonna work so much for him, you know? Can I ask you something? Yes. This isn't gonna work, I'm out of here. Is that something that you have experienced in your life but couldn't get out? Yeah. I mean, I think my parents, you know. How? I had a really great example of love. And then, like that, they, like, switched on each other, my parents. Um, both my parents cheated on each other. Um, I don't know to what extent, but I know it was severe, you know. And when my mom cheated on my dad, my dad just like lost it, became violent, um, verbally, physically abusive. And I was often present for all of that. And when mom left, I left with her. You know, her and I got away from that situation. What was their background? Um, my dad's black. Um, he was born in California. And then when he's in high school, his family, they moved to Iowa. Um, so he went from being in a very black Mixed. community in LA to a very white community in Iowa. And he was called the N-word every day in school and really traumatized by racism. And I didn't realize that until recently, like piecing that together and, you know, how he raised us and, you know, some of the things he instilled in us. What's one connection you just made? Or that you recently made when you say there's a connection between how he grew up, yeah. how he was beaten down with slurs and racism, and how he raised us? Yeah, just little things. Like, we were never allowed to leave the house unless we're fully presentable. Um, we, you know, had to be twice as good at everything. Like, nothing was ever good enough in a lot of ways with my dad. Don't give them anything. Don't give them nothing. To, because I, to and, and I appreciate my dad Finish the this. sentence. <laughs> don't, give, don't give them anything to take away from your power, from who you are. And I appreciate that from my dad. He really instilled in us, like, you are beautiful people. You're strong people. You're smart. You're capable. He really, really did that. And that's a gift he gave us. Because um, he didn't have that. I don't know why I'm so like, <laughs> emotional. Because it's a story yeah. that brings up emotion. <laughs> You're not describing to me how to cook chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Which I can, <laughs> if you want to. <laughs> I'll take you off of yeah. that too. Because there's so much there, yeah. yeah? And because at the moment you're telling me, my dad became very violent, it became so unsafe, and my mother and I had to leave. But at the same moment as you're describing the violence of your dad, you're also describing the protection of your dad. Yeah. And that's layers too. Yes. Yeah. And there's never been an acknowledgement for how his pain and his anger and him like letting himself go really impacted 
and change the course of all of our lives, impact our personalities and how we navigate the world, you know, my, me, my siblings and I. They started out with tremendous hope and positivity, and they arrive two years later, defeated and afraid because it was great and now every fight ends into, this ain't gonna work. One of the first things I wanna do with them is invite them to create more layers rather than on and off, in and out, yay, nay. And to invite their stories to become more complex. It's not just this or that. It's this, that, and something else. So when he talks about his father and he describes this man who he and his mother fled, but then he's also able to talk about how much the father became a source of pride and a source of strength for him. That is a very important layer, especially as he's describing their relationship within the larger context of racism of gender and the dynamics of violence in the family. Your mom is from? My mom is from California too. She's, she's Mexican heritage, mm -hmm. Mexican background. And she was disowned by her family when she married my dad because he was black. Um, but my mom loved him. And even her partner now, he's a black man. Like she's, she's just, she loves what she, who she loves, you know? But my dad I was present. to love her as is too. My mom is my, I love my mom, you know. She is your... She's like my, my light. Mm. As a mother, it's one of the most beautiful things one can hear from a son. She did, I don't know how she did what she did. And like, you know, really just strengthened me. I don't want to say she protected me because she didn't protect me. And I feel like she did that intentionally. She didn't want to shield me from the world. She wanted to prepare me for the world. She did that in, in a very loving way, a very like powerful, rooted way. And so, you know, I really love her for that. But it was hard. Like my, my dad was a breadwinner and my mom, she just, she didn't really work when they were together. And just when they split, she didn't have any money. My dad didn't support us at all. They, How old were you? I was about 12. Um, and I really just kind of took on protection role with my mom in a way. Even when my dad was physical with her, I, several times I ran in and, you know, pulled him off of her. And she... She told me that the reason why she left is because, you know, they were fighting one time and he was getting physical with her and I ran in and pushed him off and she saw the look in my face. And she said that she was worried that I would kill him or he would kill her if she didn't leave and how that would like impact us. And that was her cue to, to leave. So, yeah. Did her parents support you? No. In any way, when you both? No, not at all. My dad's sister was the biggest help we had. Because when we moved out, the first two nights we slept in her car, my mom and I. And my grandparents weren't, didn't help. But my, my, mom, my dad's sister took us in. She had a one-bedroom apartment in L.A. And... You know, they shared the bed, I took the couch, and we'd stay there for a few weeks until my mom could get a place for us. But we, we, we did it, you know, and as soon as I could work and get a job, I got a job. Um, I've always been very fortunate with that, with great opportunities that came my way, and I was able to support, help support my mom from the time I was 17 till today. So when you say, I. I fear that I may not be equipped. 
What are the connections that you're making? I think the love that we have experienced together surpasses what I thought I would have. I think the biggest thing for me is whenever there's conflict, I push the eject button right away. And we've had a lot of conflict, and I think that's gotten in my head a lot about, you know, maybe this isn't right because we have so much conflict, and it kind of perpetuates the conflict because then I stonewall him. And, and what happens to him then? And then he reaches for me. And then I'm like, leave me alone. I need space. I need solitude. And he's reaching because that he feels disconnected. You know, he, he feels like I'm slipping away. And that's, that's our two things butting up against each other. And it's a point where I can differentiate if, like, conflict is normal. Get, get through it, work through it. This is a beautiful thing you have because we do have a beautiful thing. You know, and we <laughs> see that, we realize that. Or if, in my head, you know, it's, we're not compatible or this is too much conflict or you are really better off independent and alone. Like you have been. Like you've done most of, your, most of your adult life and succeeded at What they're clear on is the loop. He pursues me, I withdraw, I stonewall, I stonewall, he pursues me more. But all the while thinking that the conflict is somehow inevitable. And this is what I want to explore with them. That knot that starts to breed the hopelessness that pervades them, that I don't feel. I actually, at this moment, have great hope for them. He told us so much. He says, I'm, I'm a little confused, I'm stuck, because I don't know. A part of me says fighting, arguing, disagreeing is a normal part of a relationship, but a part of me doesn't really know how to deal with it. And I, one thing I know is I certainly don't want to repeat what happened in my house. And the last thing I want to do is do what my dad did, because I promised myself I would never do what he did. So instead of exploding, I withdraw, I leave. And when you come after me, I'm even more afraid that you're going to make me explode, because I'm trying to tell you, leave me alone. Don't you get it? Leave me alone. And the more he says, leave me alone, and the more you want him to not be alone, because A, you care about him and you don't want him to be alone, and B, that makes you completely alone, and you don't want that either. That's a great recap. <laughs> it's a yes? great recap, yes. <laughs> and then he is left with the, well, maybe it's not meant to be. And then it becomes, maybe this isn't meant to be, and then he goes into, maybe I'm just not meant to be in a relationship with love and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a story. And the beauty about us in relationships is that you can start to write a different story. Yeah. And the fact that you just told all of this should be for you a very clear sign that you are not like your father, who has not been able to acknowledge, to make amends. About that part of what he did with you, you can love him, you won't be like him. Do you know that? Yes. I'm learning that. Okay. I'm learning that. Okay. Yeah. This question about, am I skilled for this? Am I equipped at this? Can I do this? If it makes any difference, I am married for 35, 36 something years. 40 years I know the same man. And that is a question that I still have on occasion. Do not just think that it is because you're young and you start out. I think that part of what pushes us to continue to grow and to change and to look at ourselves is that very question. Yeah. How good am I to love? How lovable am I? How much does my past stay with me? I think these are fundamental questions in life yeah. that don't need to lead you to the eject button. Yeah. 
I understood that he asks himself that question. Am I made for love? Can I be in a relationship? That a question was not just a question. It also had an envelope of self-contempt. And so I chose to tell him, you know, it's actually a beautiful question. I ask myself that question still after decades. I wanted to take the sting out of the question and turn it into a real question and not a disguised blame. Support for Where Should We Begin comes from Shopify. Not all businesses are the same, and businesses need different things at different stages. Shopify is the global commerce platform flexible enough to help your business sell at every stage of growth. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify can help you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person point-of-sale system, Shopify offers the flexibility to support your operations no matter where you're selling. Right now, it's easier to stress less and sell more with Shopify Magic, an AI-powered helper created to give you a little boost. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., along with millions of other businesses across 175 different countries. Try it for yourself and see why companies like Allbirds and Brooklinen have used the platform to power their growth. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Go to shopify.com slash now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Support for Where Should We Begin comes from Masterclass. Your mind deserves as much care and attention as your work or your relationships. But many of us neglect to care for our intellectual well-being. Learning a new skill is a great way to nourish your mind, and Masterclass makes it easy to study with genius-level instructors from every industry. A Masterclass subscription unlocks an entire world of possibility with unlimited one-on-one classes that you can access at home or on the go. Masterclass offers more than 200 different courses taught by world-class instructors like Ron Howard and Lewis Hamilton. You'll also find a class that I taught about relational intelligence. My course combines a conceptual framework with practical skills to strengthen your relationships by focusing on communication, conflict resolution, and empathic listening. We all live in relationships, and so this is suited for all of us lifelong learners. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash begin. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash begin. Masterclass.com slash begin. Support for Where Should We Begin comes from Progressive. Most of us are listening to the podcast and multitasking. You may be driving, shopping, exercising, taking a walk. But if you're not in some kind of moving vehicle, there's something else that you can do right now, which is to get a quote from Progressive Insurance. It's easy and you can save money by doing it right from your phone. Drivers who switch to Progressive save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers can qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Get a quote for your car insurance at Progressive.com to join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I'm going to wait because I want to hear from you. Um, yeah, I, get, I mean, I guess my family background is, uh, is not, like, nuclear. Um, Meaning? My father passed away when I was uh, around two. And From? Uh, lung cancer. You know, then, then growing up without a father was, I think, I think challenging because I was sort of effeminate as a kid. And I became self-aware very quickly that that just didn't fly. And I sort of learned, you know, 
to the degree of like practicing how to say certain words so I didn't like make my S's sound a certain way or just effeminate qualities that I think I knew quickly just were not okay for a boy. And that was everything from the things that I gravitated toward to just the way I, you know, held my legs or the way I stood or ran or I just became very conscious of it, very, like, probably around seven years old. Um, What was the milieu? It's very white. Uh, my family's Italian, Catholic, so I have a pretty large extended family and, you know, pretty macho and the town that I grew up in was very small, very white, also very Catholic. I even, I went to a Catholic college too. And how was your family and the extended family, what was their relationship to effeminate boys, gay boys? That was not, that's not a, that those two are not one and the same. Yeah, no, it was it was not good. I I was definitely called a faggot a bunch of times by a bunch of different family members growing up, um, and I just I I almost like grew to take that word and make it something that I could almost like use and not feel anything. Um, like I, I sort of deadened myself to the word um, while really making like very conscious choices about how I behaved, making sure that the things that I inherently gravitate toward were shut down and the things I was supposed to like were like turned on. And I... Such as? Um... What were you drawn to? I loved like painting and drawing. I was very artistic, but those were deemed in my family and town as like girl things. You know, I can, I can remember like having my mom and sister try to teach me how to swing a bat and like they just don't care about sports. So it's, it's kind of funny to think about. But, but I think as I've gotten older, I've realized like it's muddled what I like and don't like. And that's hard to tell. Am I just liking this because I know I'll get approval for yeah. liking this? Yeah. yeah. Or am I doing something that I genuinely care about? And it's for me. And I came out late too. I came out really at 30 years old. And how old are you now? Uh, about to be 35. I really didn't like accept myself until I was 26. It was always this fear that that would break all of the relationships that I had. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize I was doing sort of, you know, double duty on like ruining these relationships because they were not real, because they weren't accepting who I was, because I wasn't showing them who I was. But I wanted to keep them, so I kind of kept myself from them. So it was this kind of like, just double-edged sword, I think, in, in keeping people at a distance. I felt lonely, but I was afraid to lose them if they saw who I truly was. It's so powerful and sad to hear him describe in order to secure my attachments, in order not to lose the people I loved, I had to not love myself. I had to lie. I had to obscure major parts of me. If I'm going to show you my authentic self, you will reject me. And so his longing is to meet someone who will love him. And the meaning of that love is invested in accepting me for who I am, as I am, that is his dream of wholeness. When you have to hide, when you become very good at concealing, when you lear learn the norms, and these are in intense pressures, 
you know, and then you do bring them into your relationship with each other as well. If you are a relentless pursuer of harmony, of being accepted, of making sure that there is no friction, then I can imagine how rattled you become when he gets mad or there is discord or he needs to remove himself. For you, you never removed yourself. Your story is the story of fitting in. We're each off in our own survival strategy. Mm -hmm. So he says, this isn't meant to be. Is that the words? That I don't, like, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if this is going to work. And you? What happens to you then? I get angry. I feel really unheard. So I'll go to this place of like, I wish we could just talk about what I'm bringing up as opposed to like it, it being our relationship that's now in question mm-hmm. and I'm articulating it like this now but usually I I pounce on that and I'm kind of like I'm sure I'll throw a curse word in there somewhere <laughs> can I hear it? <laughs> um, it's probably like um I wish we could just fucking talk about what we're trying to talk about, you know? And it's like that. Like, I get sharp and kind of like, I talk quick and jabby. And, you know, it, it obviously nobody wants to respond to that. And I feel like that just, it, it almost becomes this like, who could outdo who at some point? And we start raising the stakes. And then we're not even talking about the very thing that brought us into it. I didn't ask him to give me the dialogue verbatim just because I want to hear him curse. I just often think it's such a contrast between how nice some people behave while they're talking in my office and the shit show that I know is going on at home. And because he's in the role of the pursuer, it seems like he's the nice person who is just saying, why can't we be close? When in fact, it's not just that the other one is stonewalling, it's that he's being attacked. So it's so important to get the energy of this conversation rather than just the words of what they say to each other. So when he goes into, can't we just fucking talk about whatever I just brought up, you go to? I think anger... I I carry, I'm realizing the past few years, I carry some anger. And receiving his anger is very hard for me. And I can connect that receiving my dad's anger, I was absolutely not. Like, it was a reflex to get away from that. So when he's he's angry, I like reflex to get away from that. But at the same time, his bids for connection, for some reason compute themselves in my mind and heart that like who I am is not enough in this relationship and it it puts pressure on me it makes me angry when you're like expecting more from me and I get angry in that and he perceives that as like okay then I'm up the antics too and so now we're just having a screaming match and you know now we're just pushing each other's buttons and and it often leads to me saying fuck you like with with such like fuck you like I feel that, and only recently he's been saying that back too, like he feels that you know. So like we can't really, we haven't really had a normal fight. That's been hard for me to like just have a normal average fight that couples have because I'm always going. What to do you imagine that is, a normal fight? I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't. I don't have a conception of it. I just. I just know that couples fight. And they, mm-hmm. and they stay together and they grow from it and they work it out. And I would say every fight we have, I'm going to, this isn't working. That's why this isn't working. I'm out. I'm like one foot out the door right now because I need to go be, before this turns into 
what he can't turn it into. We haven't been able to get past that. We haven't, and he's vocalized this to me that it's hard for him to bring up uncomfortable things because he's afraid that's going to go there. Like it's almost hard for him to approach me with things that are unsavory or that he needs or. And that's exactly what he said before. Yeah. If I was to tell them my truth, I would lose them. Yes. So I either lie to myself in order to keep you, or I talk the truth of myself and I lose you. Yeah. And basically, you, in your response, you kind of show him that this is indeed what will happen. And on the other end, what's the reverse? What is being re reenacted for you? I feel like I almost have like a false expectation that if we're going to be in this partnership, if we're going to be in this relationship, it needs to be refuge. It needs to not be as hard as the rest of the world is for me. Because it feels like that. Like, a lot of the world feels hard to me. Yes, it is. And like, when he's coming to me with hard stuff, I'm like... Give me a break. Yeah. Like, this is, the, this is where I'm supposed to feel safe. And it's where I have felt safe. And like, I feel like any, like, oftentimes, if not every time, he's bringing things up that I find uncomfortable. I'm like, I can't be safe here. You know, I can't feel comfortable here. And I know that's not rational, but that, that's the feeling. You know, that's the reaction that I haven't been able to get over. And what is it that he brings up that evokes that for you? Wanting more of me. Wanting, it's, it's usually always rooted in wanting more, wanting more closeness. And I oftentimes feel that when he's asking for more of me that I have to give up myself. I had a moment of choice of a number of directions I could take. There was something he said, which was, there is when he gets angry with me, but then there is when he has a bid for connection, when he wants something from me. Instead of experiencing it as an invitation, he experiences it as pressure. And at that moment I thought, oh, wow, maybe this is not all about that. There is another person here who may be at the core of some of what we're talking about, and that's mom. And because he adores mom and relies on mom and takes care of mom, it is much easier for him to talk about that. But mom is where we need to go. And I decided to continue staying primarily with him because whatever work he would do on himself, would be work on the relationship. I'm still trying I'm still trying to understand that. I don't fully understand why and how I get so reactive and defensive when he's asking for more and when he's wanting more connection. There's only one person who can ask that for you. That's your mom. And so when he asks, it suddenly feels like I've already, I'm maxed out. I've given everything I have to give. And you hear it as he's asking for more rather than a compliment. He's not there to tap you, to deplete you. And, And it may trigger in you some of your, you know, you adore your mother and you would do anything for her, but there is also a need to recognize the burden that this has had on you. It's had a burden on me. Huh? It's had a burden on me. And when he asks for something, he gets the response that maybe belongs to her. My parents haven't been my parents since I was 12. 
children who become the parents of their parents, yeah. children who, who become parentified, you know, when he then says, I want more, you're thinking more of somebody I need to take care of yeah. and less of me. On the other hand, when you say, I want more, it's because you're working out the story of, I'm finally coming out with my own authenticity, with who I really am, and I've dreamt my whole life that the day I will do that, there will be nothing, no barrier, no distance, no gap between me and whoever I love. Because my whole life is a, a space that I could never cross, filled with that unspoken, filled with that closet, with that... I'm compromising for all of you. And when you say, I want more from, from your story, he hears more caretaking. How much more can I give? And then he says, I have nothing more I want to give. And then it becomes a battle between protecting myself, protecting the relationship, as if they are at odds with each other. There's no way that you can do both. That's often how I feel, is that my myself and this relationship are at odds. And I have to, like, concede on one or the other. And he has the same. Yeah. In order to be in a relationship, in yeah. order to maintain the relationship with people, I have to curb myself. Yeah. Curtail myself. Not ask for too much, not say too much, not want, you know. It, 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 there's a strange resonance between yeah. these two plots. I think, you know, I, I really self-soothed a lot of my life. And a lot of times when he's wanting more connection, I, I'm almost saying, like, can't you, like, take care of yourself in that way? I've had to do that. Yeah, I've done that. I've done that. I feel, I've, I've, and I feel that. I'm like, I've done that. Can't you? And this was our last fight. I was like, grow up. I told him three times, grow up, grow up. Do it, do it, do it, and grow up. And I can know that he's being vulnerable and wanting connection and not tapping, you know. But the feeling of that, that's, that those haven't connected, that bridge hasn't connected yet. And it does feel sometimes like a caretaker role, you know. I, I feel Is there sometimes. some of that? Um. Mixed in, in the layers. Is there, I'm ha I mean, in some strange way, both of you have had to take care of yourself or have taken care of yourselves alone on many instances. When you say, I want to feel closer, and he hears, take care of me. Is there some of that? I oftentimes like to talk out a lot of things, and we've talked about this both seriously and joking, that I just talk way more than he does. And I've like wanted to just share in experiences that I've had that I'm like, and I don't know how to handle this, and I'm, what do you think about handling, like, I don't feel like we have that frequently, or as, or as much as I would like. And so maybe I'm looking for a bit of a caretaker role in that, uh, like to talk through things with. Does that make sense? Yeah. But I, <laughs> in a way, when you want to just talk things through, that's not about t t being taken care of. What I'm imagining, you tell me, is that if he starts to voice things out loud, from where you come from, you first need to solve this so that this is all done, so that you can go back to thinking about you. And that, that feels okay for me when it's not about us or about me. Uh -huh. When it's about us, for example, I, I want more connection. It feels as if I have to 
concede on myself to appease his needs. Mm-hmm. And he's not absolute about it. I, I know him enough to know that he's not saying, I feel this, you need to do this. He's just saying, hey, this is how I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. But it just always turns for me into, well, I need to just, I just have to like roll over to make you happy. And I can't do that right now. Right. Right. How do your arguments slash fights And how does this dance that you describe, which means that after he says, I'm not going to take care of you, I can't just roll over and have your happiness be the center of my life. I've done this once before, in effect. Then you come in finally and you say, well, then I won't ask for anything. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the, the last move in this dance. Yeah. And how does all of this affect your sexual relationship. Does it? For sure. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely more emotional with sex, where if he's he not, what? he's more emotional with sex. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? If he's not feeling connected to me, he's not very into it. Might not, might not happen, you know? And I'm a little more, less emotional about it. Because for me, I think having sex With my partner, it's like a way that I connect. Like linking our bodies in that way really makes me feel connected to you and feel human and feel like alive and seen. I wonder if there's a something in this that love for you is sometimes experienced with a burden. Love comes with responsibility. Love comes with caretaking. Love comes with the worry about the well-being of the other person. Yes? Yes. And sex becomes the place where you don't have to take care of anybody. You can feel free. He actually takes care of you. Sex is the place for love without a burden or connection without responsibility and a bit of a reward for the work. Right. Yeah. Especially in our, in, you know, the dynamics of our sex, you know, just the roles that we play in the bedroom, you know, he takes care of me. And, and, and he, so. and yes. he, he enjoys that. Mm-hmm. And then we've learned, we've learned that about each other, you know, so it's not like, I don't think either of us feel burdened And that. But if that's the case, I would invite you to no longer think that his sex is emotional and he needs connection and your sex is not. The desire to experience love without burden and responsibility and worry is a deep emotion. Yeah. It is. This is a part of how you see yourself. My sex is energetic. I can have sex without connection. No. What you're describing is a different kind of connection, but it is equally emotional. It is equally deep. It is equally, you know, intricate. Partly because of the relationship that you had with your mom, which is love with a deep sense of responsibility and burden and worry and anxiety. And sex becomes the place that's free from all of that. And that is not just a sexual need. That is the deep emotional need that is conveyed through sex. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not he needs to love and have sex and you need sex and it has not much to do with love. Not at all. If there's one thing I would love you to take with you from this conversation, this is one. I haven't really thought of it like that before. Because I think how I have approached sex is parallel to how I approach the relationship too, which is I want it, but I don't, I'm okay without it. Like I'll be fine with without it, you know? It's really beautiful how you manage to ask in sex without realizing that you're asking. 
sex is a great subterfuge yeah. Yeah. for our deepest emotional needs. Yeah. That's why I love it so much. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. You may remain responsible and in a caretaking role. There's a different economic reality. There's a different racial reality. There's right. a different family reality. There's lots of other pieces we can't really address in detail today. But you can make room for you. Yeah. And that is something that only you will do. Yeah. And come to your boyfriend and with your needs rather than hold this idea that I'm fine alone, I don't need it, I'm strong. That's yours to undo. I can be strong and be taken care of. Yeah. And not just imagine I like sex a lot, <laughs> as if it's sex I like a lot, right. which you may like a lot too, yeah. but there is that other hidden thread. And not to imagine that when he says, I want something, he instantly is asking you to work, to set up a welfare system yeah. of two. Yeah. And it will directly affect him because, A, he's wonderful at taking care of you and he doesn't nearly get enough opportunity. And B, he won't feel that every time he just wants to talk, he's being shut down because you're having a panic attack of emotional overwhelm. Yeah. Yeah. So if he says, I want to feel more connected, you tell me, tell me, how so? <laughs> Bring it on. Yeah. Love it. It's a compliment. Rather than, ah, more work. Yeah. Yeah. That's a different lens, for sure, that I haven't tried on. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks very much. Esther Perel is the author of Mating in Captivity and the State of Affairs, and also the host of the podcast, How's Work? To apply with your partner for a session for the podcast, or for show notes on each episode, go to whereshouldwebegin.estereperel.com. Where Should We Begin with Esther Perel is produced by Magnificent Noise for Gimlet and Esther Perel Productions. Our production staff includes Eric Newsom, Eva Walchover, Destry Sibley, Huete Gatana, and Julia Natt. Recorded by Noriko Akabe, Kristen Muller is our engineer. Original music and additional production by Paul Schneider. And the executive producers of Where Should We Begin are Esther Perel and Jesse Baker. We would also like to thank Lydia Polgreen, Colin Campbell, Clara Sankey, Ian Kerner, Alma, Courtney Hamilton, Nick Oxenhorn, and Jack Saul. Support for Where Should We Begin comes from Masterclass. Masterclass offers classes from over 180 world-class instructors. Frank Gehry can teach you about his unconventional approach to design and architecture. Margaret Atwood can help you develop your eye for story. Or you can take my own course. My class is about relational intelligence, how you connect with others, how you improve your communication skills, develop more empathy, build better boundaries, and find clearer resolution for conflict. Right now, you will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash begin. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash begin. Masterclass.com slash begin. This episode of Where Should We Begin is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? 
Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Get your quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations.